0: John 19:17 through 30 and he went out bearing his own cross to a place the place of skulls which in Arabic is called Golgotha there they crucified him and with two others one on each side and Jesus between them Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross it read Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother woman behold your son then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home after this jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture i thirst a jar of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I've had
1: a lot of childhood heroes growing up. Anybody? Are there Happy Days fans here? I mean, if Potsy is not your hero, just kidding. But uh, I always liked the Fonz, right? He was cool, wore the leather jacket, but uh, I also was a fan of a guy named Marion. We'd know him as John Wayne, and uh, I combined the two characters when I was five years old. I was, I was the coolest five-year-old on our block. I lived in Clovis, California, right behind the rodeo grounds on Brookside Drive, and I had this little pedal chopper, and uh, during the summer, California weather in Clovis could get up to 105, 110. It didn't matter. I wore my Fonzie leather jacket, and then I implemented my John Wayne because I always, with my leather jacket, I'd wear this, you know, toy, double pistol, uh, cap gun type thing, and I was just, I was just, I was the coolest kid. Um, I, I will claim that title. but. You know, I used to. You know, we we love to to play characters. We love to to try to see life through their eyes. And uh, growing up, those are just some of the fun moments of uh, trying to be the Fawns or try to be John Wayne. In fact, I John Wayne uh, was one of the reasons that I joined the cavalry. Seriously, no joke. Uh, I loved uh, John Wayne westerns and. Uh, when he was a cavalryman, and when I was considering going to the Army, I didn't know what job I wanted to do. And, of course, the recruiter showed me a, 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 a you know, video of a cavalry scout. And I said, John Wayne. And uh, except I didn't ride a horse. I was in a 32-ton Bradley uh, medal, but uh, they still called it a cavalry scout. And so uh, I... Maybe he doesn't want to take credit for that, but that's who I was. And this morning I bring that up because this morning we're going to we're going to finish up our series of unfortunate or fortunate events, and we're looking specifically at the title. It is finished. And I know some of you are going, "Yes, last sermon, Brother Todd's going to stop preaching. Lynn's going to preach next week. I am finished." Well, no, we're going to look at the title pertaining to the scriptures it is finished. But what I want us to do this morning, just as I did with the fawns, or like I did with John Wayne, I I want us to to look through the eyes of the Apostle John this morning. I I want us to look at the Scripture, what he experienced, what he saw. Because I, I believe that the passage of Scripture that we're looking at, there was a passionate side to John that, that, that didn't click with me until this week when I was studying this passage. On several occasions, John wrote, specifically towards the end of his gospel, for example, in chapter 20, just a, a chapter after our text, he said that, that he wrote all of these things and recorded all of the, you know, some of the miracles of Jesus for the purpose that they may believe in Jesus, the Son of God. But then I, as, I, as I thought about that and as I began to unfold the Scriptures in our text, I came across in our text John 19.35 where John again says, he who saw it, referring to himself, has borne witness. In other words, what... what what John was saying is that he had eyewitness account. He was present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine being there on that day where our Lord, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, where nails pierced his hands and his feet, and he was raised on that cross to suffer a die? Could you could you just kind of, to the best of your ability this morning, put yourself and maybe what John had seen. Because he says, he who saw it and is borne witness, he's giving testimony, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth Amen. that you also may believe. Amen. I see a passion in John When you consider all that Christ has done, the finished work of Christ, the cross, the blood, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, years even after this event, he writes with passion that he had seen it and he knows it's true because he has a heart that he desires that every single person who would read this gospel would believe. Shouldn't that be our heart? Shouldn't that be our desire? Shouldn't we, if we look through the lens of the the Apostle John, that, that we can somewhat, that we have borne witness, we have testified as believers in Jesus Christ, that we have seen through the pages of Scripture the truth of the cross? And can't we know and say that this testimony, the Word of God, is true? And we know that it's telling the truth because we have a desire that our family and our friends and our neighbors may come to know the truth so that they may believe. I want us this morning to be passionate about the gospel. I want to be passionate about Christ because it's in Him and through Him that He has granted us forgiveness of our sins and given us eternal life. Because of what he did on the cross that day, 2,000 years ago, for us. For us. And so this morning we're going to look at the final words of Jesus when he said, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, It is finished. What does that mean? It is finished. We kind of think about everything that Jesus came to earth to do. Everything that the Scriptures testified that he would accomplish. That when Jesus on the cross said it was finished, that that he fulfilled the Scriptures testifying of his death. And also within this, this Greek word, it is finished gives the idea that that it was an accounting term. Anybody like, have their house paid off yet? I'm just beginning the process, and I have a lot of money to go. But in 3,000 years from now, hopefully the rapture will take place first. Eventually, my heart's desire is that I'll get a little stamp on that saying, paid in full. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, and he fulfilled all the scriptures, and all that sin required it took an innocent man to die on the cross to make a payment. Jesus did it, and he says, it is finished. I fulfilled the scripture, and I've paid the sin debt in full. Isn't that exciting? Does that not stir your heart? Do you not get fired up and passionate about it? If not, let's see if I can get this southern expression right. Your wood's wet. Brandon, did I, did, I do, did I do it okay? Brandon, yesterday, if I could just kind of, you know, take a little side note for my sermon. Our homebuilders class had a crawfish boil. And uh, there was some serious gluttony going on. But Brandon told me, he goes, we'll make you an Arkansan yet. So I'm learning, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. If you don't get passionate about the gospel and what Jesus did for you, you you really need to to go back and, and look at the gospel. You need to look at your heart because what Jesus did for us and what He did for you, what He did for me, by taking my place and your place on the cross to die for us. Who would do such a thing but a God who loves us? A God who loves us. And so there's some things that we can learn about the finished work of Christ. As we look through the lens of the Apostle John, there are some things that we can learn and that we can apply. And my, if you get anything out of this sermon today, first of all, that you would be convinced That Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again and he's alive today. But also that we as his children and followers, that we would be as passionate as John is in declaring the gospel that others may believe. So there's some lessons that we can learn from the finished work of Christ. First of them being, it compels us to consider the cruelty of the cross. We saw just a glimpse in the video, the nails piercing the hands of Christ. Now, crucifixion had been around quite some time. The Romans seemed to have perfected it. When you think about all that's involved with the cross you begin to understand that it is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of death. And John reminds us that he went out bearing his own cross. And that cross was an instrument for the purpose of killing Jesus. And and when someone was nailed to the cross, their feet were slightly bent their hands stretched out, and not only was that painful, just think about the severe beating Jesus took prior to carrying his own cross. In fact, we read in the Scriptures that, that it's very possible that he was so weak, and they want to prevent Jesus from dying on the road that they grabbed Simon the Cyrene to help carry the cross for Jesus. So his body was already battered and bruised and beaten, and they nailed him to the cross. And now Jesus had had to try to keep himself upright, and and what it did was it was very difficult on the heart and the lungs. And he began to, you know, just to take a breath would stretch. And just think about how painful with the 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 nails that he just to take a breath every time. The cross is cruel but he took it for humanity. It was a cross that was designed for criminals, yet he was innocent. We read in John 19, 18, there they crucified him with two others, one on the other side, and Jesus between them. We learned that the two others were thieves. And Jesus was right there in the middle. Jesus, the Son of God, who was innocent and without sin, bore the cruelty of the cross designed for criminals that we might have life. That we which believe would praise God and those that yet to believe that they may hear the truth and to let let people know the world. We have the responsibility to let the people know that that cruel cross that Jesus bore was for them. It was for me and it was for them. It was for us and it's for the world that the, the, the cruel and the brutality that Jesus suffered was to pay our sin debt. And the Scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that debt on our behalf on that cruel cross of cavalry. Excuse me, Calvary. Gotta get that right. Calvary, cavalry. Two different things, by the way. Cavalry, ride horses. Calvary is a place also known as Golgotha, which we'll look at next. Because what we find is that it also compels us to be living witnesses. Not only do we learn and realize the cruelty of the cross, but it compels us to be living witnesses witnesses. And so when we look at the cross, and we look where Jesus was and where he was crucified, that the crucifixion of Christ was for all to see. Notice, it says, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There's been a lot of speculations exactly where this place was, um, but I can tell you this, that most pictures that show the crosses on top of a hill uh, is probably not the place. Uh, Crucifixion was oftentimes placed at crossroads, a very high traffic area. There's a place outside the Damascus Gate of the city of Jerusalem today. There's a mountainside that looks like a face of a skull. There's a lot of, of very strong evidence that that is the area, the place in which Jesus was crucified. But it would have been a place that people would have walked by for all to see. It was a great warning for people coming and traveling to Jerusalem, don't mess up or that could happen to you. And there was Jesus for all the world to see, displayed in all his glory, if you will, to see the dying Jesus. But what we also see is that there is inscription for all to read. It says, many of the Jews read this inscription, because Pilate had an inscription made. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and in late Latin and in Greek. So, anybody passing by would have read a common expression in a language that they would have known. So, for all the world to see and for all the world to read, Jesus died for being who he said he was, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Can I tell you that in this world we are the crossroads? Can I tell you that we are the plaque that's inscribed who Jesus is? You see, the Apostle Paul one time was writing a letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And in this this letter that he wrote, he he, he was kind of defending his apostleship because oftentimes a lot of the teachers and orators of the day had some credentials, a credential letter of their ability. Paul, combating that, notice he says, you yourselves our letter of recommendation so in other words if paul wanted testimony about his credentials look no further than the corinthian church why he says you written on our hearts to be known and read by all so the testimony of the corinthians was to testify of the saving grace of christ in and through our lives which was a reflection of the ministry of the apostle paul And he says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You see, we are letters written from Christ. When we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we've become an inscription to the world to be read by all that there is a Christ who suffered a cruel death on the cross. And that we have been saved by his grace through faith for all to read, for all to know, that they may believe. We're to be a living witness. We're not to hide, we're not to go into our closet. We're not trying to cover it up. We're to let our light shine before the world. Hundred under a bushel. No. Let our light shine to be read by all men that they may believe. But it also compels us to realize there is hope. There is hope. I have a confession to make. I hope you all don't fire me after the sermon. I'm a Houston Astros fan. Yep, they cheat. Okay. Um. So so far they're starting the season off pretty well. They're two and one. But last night, sixth inning, there was you know they were down zero to one. There was still a lot of hope. They lost, to nothing and that hope had an, you know, that type of hope has a little bit of doubt to it. But the hope that we have in Christ is a sure thing. Amen. There's no doubt to it, even though there are those who will reject the gospel. And there will be many who reject the gospel. Even during the time of Jesus, not only did Jesus hear the the clamoring cloud saying, crucify him, crucify him. Even at the inscription that was placed above his cross, they were upset about because it said, king of the Jews. And the Jewish people said, no, Pilate, we'd rather say this man said, I am king of the Jews. I love Pilate's response to him. He just kind <clears> of <throat> put it to him. I have written what I have written. I'm not changing a thing. Even then we see the crowd, the people rejecting Christ. Do we see people reject Christ today? There is. There, there's a, such a rebellious, defiant attitude, anything pertaining to the Scriptures and God. I remember years ago, I was teaching at a Christian private school. Our science teacher, I may have shared this with you before, I've told told so many things to so many people, I don't even know if I told this to you or not, but here it goes. But the science teacher went to a conference on evolution. They were able to fill out a three by five card, send it in with questions. His question was pulled and asked, well, if you keep saying that the evolution is a theory, If if, if that is not true, then what other conclusion can you draw? And some of these were some of the the highest authorities about evolution. And their response was, if there is not evolution, the only conclusion you can get to is that there must be a creator, but we refuse to believe in a creator. You see the defiance in men? They refuse. They want to be gods themselves. They suppress the truth. But if we look at all of creation, we consider the scriptures, we have to come to the conclusion that it is true. And no matter how many people reject, no matter how many people despise, there is still hope. How do I know this? I love what John writes in the very beginning of this letter. There we go. He says, He came to His own, speaking of Jesus. And his own people did not receive him. If we just stop there, we're like, why did he even come? But notice, but to all who did receive him, who believed, in his name he gave the right to become the children of God. Hey, look, we don't know who's going to reject Jesus, and we don't know who's going to accept them, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to bear witness to the truth that they have an opportunity to believe. So there's some that will reject, but there's still hope that many will still come to Christ. And oh, what a joyful, joyful thing it is to lead someone to Jesus. I kind of think that the the joy (laughs) that that I have when I have the opportunity to lead someone to Christ is such a, a wonderful reward from God. I praise God for those opportunities. I love to see people come to Christ. Jenny and I, during the COVID time, we had this mom and this young girl. She was struggling. She, she kept you know in her bedroom crying out to Jesus to save her, but then feel like that Jesus didn't. And, and, and because she, she, would, she would do something wrong or she would just have this feeling that, that you, know, you know, okay, I, I'm supposed to have this certain feeling, this certain, this certain reaction. And, and so we sat down at our, our table, and I just had her read the Scriptures. And I said, this is what the Scripture says. You know, if you accept Jesus by the sincerity of your heart, you're going to be saved. And she, she was reading the Scriptures, and we, Jenny and I were talking to her, and all of a sudden… Her face went from being sad to all of a sudden, like if you could literally see the light bulb come on and her face just was bright and smiled. She says, I accepted Jesus. I know Jesus. And I said, Are you sure? (laughs) You're not going to doubt. She says, No, because this is what the scripture says. She had assurance. No matter what, how she felt, she had trusted Christ. Oh, that brought such joy that day to our hearts and to her mama's heart. It was such a blessing. I love when people are assured that they know Jesus and Jesus saved them. It's a beautiful thing. There's hope. Don't ever think there's no hope. We might go out, we might witness to tons of people that reject Christ, but there's gonna be one. There's gonna be one who cry to Jesus, asking them to save them. You know, it took my best friend in high school to simply give me an invitation to church. I wasn't raised in church. I was more concerned about girls. That's it. you know how he got me to church? There's pretty girls there. I met my wife, he was true. But what I didn't expect was to hear and come to realization of who Jesus is and my need for salvation. I'm thankful for that invitation. I'm thankful for the people who shared with me the gospel where I can come to trust Jesus Christ. You know, you could be that person to invite, to share Jesus with others because there is so much hope for them to trust. Christ. When we read about this finished work of Christ, it compels us to hope that there'll be others who will indeed believe. It also compels us to realize the veracity of the Bible, the accuracy. You notice in this scripture, it says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished to fulfill the scripture, You know, on three occasions, on three occasions in this context, it supports how accurate the Bible is. We have the soldiers who divided the garments. Now, they came along, and they had a tunic that had no seams. They didn't want to tear that apart, so they cast lots for it, who they can receive. And that's written in John 19, 23, 24, but it was first proclaimed in Psalm 22, 18, can you believe it? Just as the psalmist wrote, hundreds of years later, it was fulfilled. The Bible's true. Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. In John 19, 28 through 29. Two passages of scriptures, one in Psalm twenty-two 15, that tells of the parched lips of the Savior. Because that Psalm 22 is really about the suffering Savior. And then in Psalm 69 21, where they gave him sour wine, where he said, I thirst. The Bible's true and accurate. And then the manner of Christ's death. Now, this passage wasn't read, but it's part of our text in John 19 36 through 37. And in this in particular, when Jesus was on the cross, it was the high day during the time of Passover. Sabbath was next. They needed to get the bodies off the cross. The, the chief priests, the, they, they didn't want this, this event to be defiled. And so what they had to do, if the, if the people on the cross were not dead yet, that they went out to break the legs so they can't get, so they would die of asphyxiation But in the scriptures, it says that our Savior would not even have a bone broken. And that his side would be pierced. So when they came to Jesus, they broke the legs of the two thieves. But when they came to Jesus, they already found that he was dead. And so the soldier pierced his side, which gushed out water and blood. Well... If we look at the Scriptures, Psalm 34, 20 testifies that his bones will not be broken, and Zechariah 12, 10 says that his side would be pierced. The Old Testament portrayed what Jesus would endure, and John's testifying that the Bible is accurate. Now, why is this important for us today? if we saw things through the lens of john's eyes you know even what he was preaching and what he was sharing was going to be challenged there's going to be many stories and many fables you know uh, presented about jesus even in his resurrection you know what they they immediately started saying oh we'll just say his disciples stole the body but we have a script we have the scripture in which we can have confidence in that is accurate and true And we can bear witness and we can testify because the Bible is accurate. I know that salvation is true and what Jesus Christ did for us is true and I can share it with you and I can have confidence that everything that that we say and do will be found within the pages of Scripture. This is not just some figment of our imaginations. It's based on what God has revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. It's true. That's why when Paul wrote All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It is God breathed. God had used men moved by the Holy Spirit to pen without error and without contradiction the very words that we can have confidence to share the gospel, where we can be like the Apostle Paul and have a sense that I am indebted to humanity. I am obligated to preach, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for therein is the power unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you ashamed? I pray not, because the Bible is true. The Gospel is true. But lastly, it compels us to realize Christ cares for you. Do you believe that? I hope so. You know, while Jesus was there dying on the cross... We see in our text, he did some, it was a very intimate moment with Jesus and his mother and with the Apostle John. We're told that when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In other words what was happening is Jesus as the firstborn had responsibility to care for his parents obviously Joseph was no longer in the picture at this time probably has been dead for some time and we see that Jesus had the responsibility to care for his mother and while he was on the cross he was concerned about her well-being so you know what he did he didn't entrust them to his unbelieving brothers at this time Not sure when his brothers came to know the Lord. We know that two did, at least. But here we see that what Jesus did, he was concerned and cared for his mother that he asked John, the apostle John, care for her. I'm pretty sure the responsibility probably went something like this, John, I want you to care for her as I would care for her. And from that hour, guess what John did? He cared for Mary The mother of Jesus. But you know, this wasn't the only instance. No, we have others. Do you remember when we find in scriptures there was a, a time between when Jesus was nailed to the dividing of his garments by the thieves? And you know what he prayed about those that were nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He cared for the very soldiers who nailed him to the cross. And you know what? I can say this. He still cared for those that yelled, crucify him. Crucify him. But not only do we see this instance when he was on the cross, but we also see that one of the thieves, according to the gospel of Luke, one of the thieves uh, one, you know, said, well, if you are the Christ, then come down. And, and the other one says, why should this innocent man die? And he turned to Jesus and said, when you enter the kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus replied, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus cared for that thief on the cross. So if we have all three instances where Jesus was dying suffering, who cared for his mother, who cared for the soldiers who nailed him, and cared for the thief on the cross. Don't you think Christ cares for you? That's the whole reason he was crucified. It's because he loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. God loves you. You you're here this morning not knowing Christ, can I just say that He loves you? God demonstrated that love that while Christ was crucified, He died for you on your behalf. He loves you. But for us who believe that we see the finished work of Christ, you know that He cares for Vladimir Putin? do you know that He cared for Saddam Hussein? Do you know that He is, cares for even the most cruel people in the world? That's the reason He died. He loves us. He loves you. And sometimes, though, as we go out to the world, we look at people, we may judge people that they're not worthy of the gospel because of what they did. No, they're worthy because God cared for them to die for them. It doesn't matter if someone who's unlike us, who dresses different, who might be tattooed from head to toe, who might be involved in some of the gross immoralities of our life, they need to hear the gospel. Sometimes we're too comfortable and only sharing the gospel with people like us, I'm glad that Jesus is not so narrow-minded. And we exist as believers in Christ to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Whether we're in our own Jerusalem of North Little Rock, or whether we travel to the ends of the earth, were to be letters of Christ, after considering all that we've considered this morning, the cruelty of the cross, and and, and things that would compel us that we we are living examples of what Jesus Christ has done in and through our lives, and that there's still hope, and the Bible is true and that He cares that we would take the gospel into the homes and hopefully the hearts and whoever we come in contact with. This week, we concluded the World Mission Seminar that our church has hosted for many, many years. In so many ways, the world has come to us right here, right where we live. Will you share the gospel? Will you love them as Christ has loved you? Would you tell them the hope that we have in Christ? Because if we look through the lens of John eyes. Even years after he witnessed the crucifixion of Christ, he wrote with passion and compassion that he bears witnesses and he tells the truth that others might believe. Is that your heart this morning? I got a new neighborhood I live in. I don't know all my neighbors yet. But if I know my neighbors, I want to know one thing. Do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Our church settles around a neighborhood filled with all sorts of nationalities and people and even different social status. Do you know what we should desire to know about our community? What they've done with Jesus. Have they accepted Him? Have they trusted Him? But how will they know if we don't go? So this morning as we come and we prepare our hearts and we think about Easter coming up, let us be a people that go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come to Christ because what He's done for us. Will you tell? Will you share? Will you be that living witness for Christ? He is worthy. We share so many things that's happened good to us in life. Hey, you know, if we won the lottery, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't keep it quiet. If you get $5,200, we sure you use it for the carpet. <laughs> I tell you what, my niece just had a new baby boy. His name's Calvin. You know, they didn't, they didn't keep that from the family they shared that little Calvin came into the world sometimes you know we, we share different significant events in life. we share but somehow for some reason when it comes to Christ we seem to be reluctant why there's no reason to be there is no greater blessing in life than to know Jesus and there's no greater message to share than Jesus will we go and tell so as we stand this morning as we stand this morning if you're here and you don't know christ i would love for you to come and I'll pray alongside you I will share with you in the pages of Scripture even further how much he loves you if you'll just call on him today but if you know Christ as a church we've been commissioned to go out and to make disciples that's not lens responsibility alone And it's not Aaron's. And it's not mine. It's a collective effort to share Christ. Will you go? Will you be like Isaiah? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe God has been working in your heart to actually surrender to the ministry, to preach the gospel. Then preach the gospel. Maybe God's been working in your heart and life, maybe working for a people group in a foreign field. Don't be reluctant. Surrender to what God is calling you to do. We are to be a going people to preach the gospel. Will you make that decision today? Will you trust Him? Will you share with someone the gospel? What will you do surrender today. I'm going to ask our pastor if he would he would come and stand up here. I'm going to lead us in prayer. But if there's a decision that you need to make this morning, trusting Christ, following the Lord in whatever capacity, come talk to our pastor. Come to him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much and I don't think thank you is enough the right words even to express our our heart and how we feel about what you accomplished on the cross for us but father thank you for dying for us thank you for living for us and father you, you you've given us a message a message of hope a message where we can see our children and our grandchildren come to know Christ and be promised and given eternal life. Father, there's our neighbors, other family members, people in our community who so needs you. Lord, help us. Give us the strength, the comfort, the wisdom that we need to go out into our neighborhoods and, 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 and to the uttermost ends of the earth to share your word. Let the light at Faith NLR shine bright and let the gospel reach far and wide. May we be a people, a gospel people that love you and that love others and share with them the word of light that lives will be changed souls will be saved and Lord you would be honored and glorified we ask all these things in your holy and precious name Amen